All right, all right. Uh, hey, I want you to take your Bible or your smartphone or dumb phone or whatever you have your Bible on and uh, go to Nehemiah 4, okay? We're going to do a lengthy reading and we're going to do everything right out of that chapter. So I want you to find Nehemiah chapter 4 uh, and, and anchor out of there. So while you're finding that, uh, a couple of things. Today is called Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so we're going to do something that's maybe new to you, but it's going to become a normal thing around here at one point, and that is called a dollar offering. And so what we want you to do, we're going to encourage you to drop one dollar into the offering containers at the exits or on the walls. Uh, Now, all of this will go to the Alternatives Pregnancy Center. So our goal today is to really empower women who find themselves in a place they did not expect to be when they have an unplanned pregnancy and are trying to resolve what to do and how to move forward. So we really love this organization, and so this money's going to go to them. If you want to give more than a dollar, you can do that. All cash in these boxes will go to the Alternatives Pregnancy Center, so uh, that's how you can do that. Now, some people say, maybe I've been quoted saying this, that the only people with cash are strippers and drug dealers. But uh, so I'm not... So if you, if you walk to one of these containers and drop in some cash, we're going to draw no conclusions about you. Uh, and if you don't happen to have any cash, you can do the same thing through our giving app uh, on the website or on the phone app. And uh, that way, there is a dollar offering tab in the giving, and you can designate even just $1 there, or if you want to do more, you can do that. Uh, Last week of 21 Days of Prayer, starting tomorrow. So, uh, man, dial in. It's not too late for you to jump in and benefit from this process. So, uh, again, on the phone app, you can go straight to there. There's a Bible reading plan we're sharing. There's a daily video to encourage you. People are sharing thoughts in that. So, if you need help doing that, anybody wearing a red shirt, particularly under the age of 60, could walk you through how to do that. And some of us over 60 could help you do that, but not all. So uh, just saying. Uh, all right. Now, if, if you haven't been here during our current series and where we are as a church, we are in the process of restoration. We believe that God is doing a re- restoring work at Summit Church and in the hearts and lives of people here. Um, Every church has history, every church has pain, and um, many churches try to hide that. We don't like it being part of our story. We believe otherwise. We believe that God wants to reclaim our origin story when this, birth was, this church was birthed. We believe that God wants to redeem our pain, and our church is 43 years old and has had an inordinate share of pain. And so we talk about that. We believe God is Uh, restoring that, redeeming our pain. And then he's restoring us to our mission and our purpose. I believe he's doing that in each of our lives as well as we do this together. And so it's been a fun ride so far. And um, we're going through the book of Nehemiah and you need to know only a couple of things to be caught up to today's conversation. Nehemiah is the uh, historical narrative of how God rallied his people to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, the walls and gates, after they had been in captivity for 70 years. And so it's a a restoration story. 
Well, it's more than that, though, because it's also a template. The Bible has history in it, but even the history in the Bible has principles and strategy for us in our lives today. And that's particularly true in the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah's name means the consoling breath of God. He is a picture of how the Holy Spirit participates in the restoration of our lives. The walls have been torn down, the gates have been burned, and this speaks to our identity. We, you know, a lot of Christians have restored worship in the temple, like we worship God in our hearts, but our lives are a little bit of a mess. Our identity is not clear. We have open access and egress to the enemy in our lives. And Nehemiah is a strategy template for how to let God lead you in the restoring process. So that's, that's kind of all you need to know to jump in. Today we're in chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, 23 verses, the entire chapter. So it's a little longer reading than normal. That's why it's really helpful if you have it on your phone or in your Bible, so you can follow along there. And I really want you to camp out there, so keep it open, because we're going to refer to many parts of this 23 verses as we walk through what I believe the Lord wants to teach us today. And uh, our whole deal today is overcoming 101. This is just the big rock strategy of how to live an overcoming life. Now, um, I know that a person standing here, and you know, sometimes I move around so that it keeps you focused, uh, but I know one person standing here talking for, you know, 30 minutes can be a little, uh, whatever that is, but lean in because truly, 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 today is a game plan for you to live an overcoming life. You need this. I need this. So I want you to lean into it. All right. So we're in DMI chapter four. We're going to read 23 verses together. And it is our practice and custom here, if you're willing and able to stand for the reading of God's word, to do so together. And here we go. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even if a fox climbing up on it would break it down, their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came out and told us ten times over, wherever we turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of, all, some of the people 
behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man, the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards who took uh, with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. That is the word of God. You can be seated. Leave your Bible open there. You're going to be glad you did. Uh, Man, today, strategy 101 for living an overcoming life. And here's the big idea. Victory is a lifestyle. Victory is a lifestyle. A lot of us, we get in a fight, we fight for victory, we achieve a victory, and then we say, boy, glad I'm victorious. And then we turn around and we're surprised that there's a new fight and a new war going on and a new battle. And uh, sometimes our life can do that. And what I want to encourage you today is that victory is actually a lifestyle. And when you practice the lifestyle of the victorious, you can live in consistent, predominant victory throughout your life. Okay, this is really important. So, uh, man, I hope you hunger for that. I hope you uh, desire that. And I want you to to really think through. You might want to write some things down, or if you've got a great memory, that's great. But uh, there's a lot here in a very short span of time. So let's go started with the first three constant realities of life. Okay, there's three realities of life that are constant, and sometimes uh, we don't lean into them. The first is the enemy. Our enemy is a constant in this life, okay? Like he's never going to stop. He's never going to desire your good. He's never going to say, well, I give up on you. He's never going to quit fledgling and fighting. In fact, the the New Testament teaches us that as his time gets shorter, he's going to up his game. And so here's what the devil would say to you. Hey, I'm up in my game, up yours, right? You've got to up your game because he's going to up his. He's going to be more intense than normal. He's He's going to fight to the end. Now, it's important that you understand that this enemy has already been defeated. You go, well, if he's already been defeated, how come sometimes he kicks my little butt? And the answer is, you still have battles even though the war has been won. So here's what I want you to get in your heart and mind. The same God who already won the war is sufficient and ready to win every battle. So uh, you can have confidence against your enemy. This is the big deal. I find that Christians make two, uh, two 
extremes when it comes to talking about the devil or about our enemy. Some Christians say, well, that's nothing. He's nothing. I don't need to think about him. I don't need to be aware of him. Like, he's nothing. And, and really, most of the problems in the world today are just stupid people doing stupid things. And even the messes in my life are just me doing stupid things and stupid people doing stupid things to me. Like, the devil's not even a part of that. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is they find the devil in every place. I dated a girl in high school, my first Christian girlfriend, uh, when she would go in the bathroom stalls at high school, if there was no toilet paper, she would come out and say, the devil stole all the toilet paper. And uh, she saw the devil everywhere. And I was like, I, that's weird to me. But, uh, you know, we're all kind of on that range. But here's what you need to embrace. There is an enemy. We're told by the scriptures that we should be aware and wise as to his schemes. And we should fight well. So, listen, I would love to tell you that your enemy is going to just give up on you, tuck his tail, and go away. It's not so. The enemy is a constant reality in our lives. Second constant reality in our life, then, is the fight. Man, we want a life without a fight, don't you? You get tired of fighting. And sometimes God gives us breaks and breathers, but life, life is pain, highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. Okay, from the greatest movie of all time. Uh, life is hard. In fact, I've said that life is hard, and if you expect it to be easy, it's way harder. But if you embrace that it's hard, it becomes exponentially easier. So uh, there's a constant in life, the enemy, and there's a constant in life, the fight. Now, we're going to win the fight, and if we learn how to fight well, the fight becomes just a part of the fallen world. We long for no fight because we were, our DNA traces back to the garden. We want the garden. We want uh, no rain and we want beauty and we want harmony and we want to walk with God and we want, we want all of that restored. We want paradise restored. Well, that's going to happen. I always realize when I'm pointing, looking at you, my arms are pointing the wrong direction. The garden and in the end, there's going to be paradise restored. But in the meantime, the world is broken, it is fallen, it is full of depraved, dumb people of whom you stare at one in the mirror every day. And uh, this is the reality. So the fight is life. You know, if you were living in London during World War II, it would not surprise you that buildings were being blown up and things were, there was risk everywhere. But if you live, you know, in our country where the only war we've had like that was the one we fought against ourselves... We don't know what it's like to live in a war zone. But if you did, you would not be surprised of the realities in a war zone. One of the things that happens is if you view life as a battleground, you are ready for war. If you view it as a playground, then you're surprised when life doesn't just give you playful, wonderful, joyous options and battle surprises you. And so, listen, the enemy is constant. The, the fight is constant. And the third thing that's constant is the incredible power of we. The incredible power of we. What you're going to notice throughout the book of Nehemiah, probably already have noticed, is that nobody wins the victory alone. It is a team effort. And we includes God Almighty who is awesome in battle. Our God who fights for us, who resources us, 
Nehemiah is providing resources and wisdom and strategy. But who's doing the work? The people are. So we have to recognize that we need a team. And we're going to talk pretty detailed about that today. And that's not comfortable for lots of people because teams and relationships and community can be challenging. And they, they, can, they, they get weird. Uh, but man, the team wins. So what is the team? It's God. It's me. And it's us. This is my team. Uh, man, God is with me. And we'll talk about this in a second. And God is asking me to fight with him, to be with him, to participate with him and us. There's so much power in us. And so uh, those are the three constants in life that you need to get your arms around. And now let's talk about these four habits of the victorious that emerge all out of chapter four. And these are habits that will help us live victorious while we are in battle against our enemy who will not relent till the end, and we will live victoriously in our battles, okay? So the first uh, reality of uh, our strategy is that they, uh, the, what you'll see here is that they talk to God constantly. They talk to God constantly. Four times in this chapter, 23 verses, Four times they stop and pray. And so they're talking to God constantly. People who are victorious, people who have a victorious lifestyle are talking to God all the time. Now, here's the thing. I came to faith as a 16-year-old. My dad had just died of cancer and my world was in a turmoil. I had suicidal ideation. I was like really kind of lost. And uh, I came to faith in Christ through a series of events that are too long to tell you about. But right away, uh, a young youth pastor jumps into my life and he begins to disciple me and help me learn some things about talking to God. And uh, so the desire to pray was in my heart from the start. And uh, I've had this journey trying to figure out how to be full of God every day. And typically what you'll be told is, well, start every day with prayer. Like uh, give God the first of your day and spend some time with God in the morning and then go out and fight all day. And then, uh, you know, crawl to the bed at night (laughs) And uh, then rinse, lather, repeat, get up tomorrow and talk to God some more. And I have tried uh, prayer retreats and I've tried praying a lengthier time in the morning. But here's what I've learned in a whole lot of years of living with God. It is a ongoing conversation, 24-7, 365, and I talk to him all the time. Now, uh, for a while in my, in my life, I swung the pendulum, pendulum too far and I just leaned on... <clears throat> This ongoing conversation with God, like I'm talking to him all the time, all the time. But what suffered were blocks of time that were locked down to actually pray for others or to do some real work alone with God. You still need that too. But really what we're talking about is just you talk to God all the time, talking to God. I don't like to use the word prayer because many of you say, well, I don't know how to pray. The disciples walked with Jesus and they said finally to him, teach us how to pray. They didn't know how to pray. So if I use the word prayer, you'll say, I don't know how to do that. I'm disqualified. No, just talk to God. He's right there. Uh, Talk to him all the time. In John chapter 15, let me read this to you real quick. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me. So this is about abiding in Jesus. If you abide with him and I abide in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, come on, say it real loud. Nothing. 
Nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Hmm, fire, devil, fight, warfare. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So hang out with me all the time. There's a reality that God invites all of us to, and that is to live with God every minute, every hour of every day. And it's not this all-seeing eye who's watching over you, waiting for you to screw up so that you can feel guilty and ashamed again. It is God with you. This is the, this is the amazing thing, God with us. So people who have a victorious lifestyle, they're talking to God all the time. Frequently with other people. Frequently asking others to talk to God on their behalf. Frequently talking to God with someone else and agreeing together. But they're talking to God all the time. Uh, The second thing that they're doing is they're eliminating negativity. Negativity sucks the life out of you. And uh, you can see right here, they start getting a whole bunch of negativity. This is This is down around verse, oh, let's see here. Uh, Verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out. The people who are doing the work go, man, everybody's getting tired. Everybody's getting worn out, and there's so much rubble. Can we really rebuild this wall? They're doubting and they're speaking negativity. Also, our enemies chimed in with some negativity. Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to this work. And then the Jews who lived in and around Jerusalem but weren't living in the city and might not be participating in the wall project, they started going, hey, uh, in fact, it says they told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, when you least expect it, They're going to attack. Negativity, 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 negativity. It's shocking how our brains are even trained to speak negatively to ourselves. I have a friend, and he was in Washington, and now he's in Louisiana. He's a sports psychologist. Now he's serving fighter pilots in the Air Force, helping them have, uh, you know, a sports psychology mindset to do their jobs even better. But he told me this. Stop listening to yourself and talk to yourself. Because I, you know, you listen to yourself and there's so much negativity. They put a bunch of people in a movie theater and they showed them a clip of a family in a minivan driving on vacation. You know, three kids in the back, mom and dad, they're singing songs and they're laughing. And then the film stops and they ask the audience, what happens next? What do you think they all said? Car crash. Nobody gets to be that happy for very long. Something bad's about to happen. This is negativity. How does the enemy fight us? Negativity. Listen, the battlegrounds of the enemy are sin. They are discouragement, shame, lies, accusation. You're not going to win when you camp out there. You win when you fight right. So you got to eliminate negativity. Now, this is not the same, but it could be connected to eliminating negative people from your life. Again, this same youth pastor that discipled me when I was 16, I went and visited him in my 20s and, uh, with a group of guys, and somebody in the van said something really negative. And he said, hey, reword that 
positively. And it took some effort, like to reword what you just said negatively, to reword it positively. And it became a habit of mine, and I'm telling you, it changes the way you feel. Negativity is a tool of the enemy to suck the life out of you, to believe nothing good is going to happen, to believe that it's all too big, the rubble's too great, uh, that you're doomed. The enemy's too big, the attacks are too high. You got to get rid of negativity. And that leads to the third thing that victorious people do as a lifestyle, as a habit, is they focus. They focus on the Lord and on the fight. Watch what happens here. Now we're down uh, to verse 20 or verse, I don't know, 14. So there's all this negativity going on. And Nehemiah says to them, Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your homes. Word home there, guess what that word is? Oikos, the people that God has brought into your life. Remember the Lord and fight. Like stop worrying about the negativity and get busy fighting. Okay, another great movie, Shawshank Redemption. If I was going to have one movie that I could only see the rest of my life, that's the one. And they say in the prison, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. Focus on the Lord. Our God is unstoppable. He has nailed our condemnation to the cross. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has removed our shame. He has shed the blood of God himself, the blood of Jesus, which washes away our sin, which is a, now an authority thing uh, that we can take authority in Jesus' name and the blood of Jesus to, to defeat any enemy. So get busy fighting. There was a, a, a steamboat captain on the Mississippi that went up and down the Mississippi, and there's a stretch of that river where there are sandbars everywhere. And somebody's up there, they got invited to the crow's nest with the captain, and that guy says to the captain, you must know where every sandbar is in this part of the river. He said, no, I know where the deep water is. I don't need to know where the enemy is. I need to know where God is because the greatest weapon against your enemy is the presence and power of God. So if you're occupying a whole lot of time, like you need to be aware of his schemes and strategies, but you don't need to be staring at the enemy, stare at God. Because the greatest weapon for you is the presence and power of God. So uh, fight, man, fight, fight, fight. If you have a rebellious adult child or teenager in your family, and you haven't gone in their room when they're not there and anointed their room with oil and confessed the power of God over their lives and confessed the destiny that God has for them over their lives, then you're not fighting hard enough. If your rebellious child hasn't woken up in the middle of the night to find you laying on the floor crying out to God on their behalf, you're not fighting hard enough. Stop telling yourself that your kid is gone forever because the enemy has won. Stop doing that. Stop the negativity and fight. Remember the Lord and fight. This is really, really just, it's just really doing it. Okay, and I want to just keep reminding you, the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom. He gives you revelation. He gives you insight. He gives you resources, but you have to do the work. It's not going to be done for you. Okay, so the victorious lifestyle is to uh, talk to God constantly, to eliminate negativity in my heart and mind, 
to focus on the Lord and on the fight. And then the last thing is uh, people who live a victorious life, one of their habits is that they, they fight as a team. They have a team to fight with them. I want you to notice some things here at the rest of the last half of the chapter. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with weapons. Because the work needs to go on and some of us need to work and some of us need to fight for those who are working because right now I don't need to work, I need to fight for my brothers and sisters who are, who are working. But watch this, it goes even better. Uh, the officers, notice the categories of people here. You've got officers who posted themselves behind the low parts of the wall and behind the people of Judah. Uh, those who carry materials, these are just you know, strong guys. This is me, I have no construction skills. I'm great at demolition. Sometimes I demolish a little too much, but I can knock stuff down and I can lift heavy objects and spit, but I cannot operate fine equipment. Like I can't build anything. I can't do finished work. It's horrible. So I'm the materials building guy. Even the materials carrying guys who are carrying materials from spot to spot carried materials with one hand and had their sword in the other hand. What does the Bible say your sword is? It's right here. The, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Ephesians chapter six. If you wanna get into fighting more effectively, read Ephesians six, there's a whole lot there. But this is the sword. So they got, they've got the word of God in one hand and they're carrying heavy objects with the other. Those are the materials people. And then you've got um, each of the builders wore his sword on his side while he worked. So everybody's equipped. And then there's a guy who's going around uh, with a trumpet because the wall was spread out. Two and a half miles is the length of that wall. If you've ever wondered, like, how big was this thing? Two and a half miles. And it's, so it's scattered out. And so people are working at every part of the wall and there's a dude with a trumpet. So if one part of the wall starts getting attacked, trumpet dude lets it blow and everybody's supposed to run where you hear the trumpet and fight for your brothers and sisters. So it is a team deal. Uh, you've got a role on the team. You've got a role with people in your team. We are the body of Christ. We're the people of God. And uh, there's only one church in the world, right? How many churches are there in Denver? There's one, and we're part of it. We're a local expression of that church. And in this local expression, God has called us to be the people of God, to be on each other's team. And while I have a great deal of uh, ministry to my soul from this big team, I also need a smaller team that I can call, text, reach out to. I know they'll get out of bed. I know they'll get on their knees. I know they'll fight for me and I for them. Uh, my wife and I were in a beautiful place uh, this week, uh, La Quinta, California, and we were there for some board meetings for a ministry that we serve. And uh, we went to dinner with seven of us twice, uh, three couples and a guy whose wife couldn't be there. And I'm telling you the conversation the depth of love for one another, the conversation about the battles that we're in and the commitment to fight for each other. It was in, I mean, sit in a restaurant for two hours and just, it was incredible. You need this. You need this. All of us need this. You need a team. People who live victory as a lifestyle are talking to God all the time. Intimacy with God is their singular highest priority of their life. They also uh, are eliminating negativity from their life, and they're focused on the victory, not the enemy. 
and they're focused on living their life for the Lord, right? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Uh, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. So it's not like we're perfect. It's that our soul belongs to God. We fail, we fall, we struggle. But man, our soul belongs. I'm not giving my heart to anything, anyone else but him. So man, intimacy with God, pushing away negativity, uh, fighting really well, fighting as a team. Man, this is how we move forward. Now there's a whole lot there that needs to be dug into depending on where you are in your life. And what we're going to do here is I want to give you two responses, and then we're going to give you a chance to be prayed with if you desire to. The two responses, first, are to assess your current lifestyle of victory and make whatever corrections are needed. Like, how are you doing on these four habits of the victorious lifestyle, and where do you need to get to work? So uh, truly assess that. Are you talking to God all the time? Are you staring at negativity and discouragement instead of at God? Are you building a team? Are you fighting together with a team? Okay, are you focused on the Lord and the fight, not the enemy? Do some assessment just before you leave the room and uh, prescribe with God's help what your next step is to get back into those habits. Second response every week here at Summit Church is to fight for your oikos, okay? In this case, fight for them. Oikos is the term in the New Testament for extended household. You shall be saved and your household. The jailer, you will be saved and your household. The demoniac in the tombs. Hey, Jesus, let me go on the road with you. We'll have this great gig. We'll go, I'll stand on the stage, tell my story. No. Go back to your oikos, to your own people. Tell them what God has done for you. We believe supernaturally and strategically, God is weaving eight to 15 people at any time on the front row of your life. Some of them you may not even like, but God has put them there and your job is to demonstrate Jesus to them and help them. So in this case today, I want you to reflect on the people that God has brought into your extended household, neighbors, coworkers, friends, uh, if you're, coaching a league or have a hobby, people God has brought right around you. Who in there is getting their butt kicked? And how can you fight for them? These will be your family members as well. All right? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for you. And then we're gonna just have this moment and Karis will lead us in a song in a moment. And uh, we're gonna, we're gonna finish uh, really trusting in God for our fight. While that's happening, on either side of the room, there are prayer stations. You'll see those signs light up and there'll be people there who are eager to pray for you. If you say, okay, here's what I especially wanna invite you to. Now you can go pray for any reason. You've got, a, you've got a crisis going on. You've got someone you wanna stand in behalf of them and ask people to pray, agree together for them. That's awesome. And if you have not had success against the enemy lately, if you're in a big fight with him, if you're just in a fight for your life, man, let, let the team pray for you. So don't be bashful. If you need prayer, they're going to be there, and we want you to just move toward there at your convenience. There's also on the tables next to that communion elements. If you want to go and just be with the Lord for a moment, 
Celebrate the broken body and blood of Jesus that has redeemed you, that has set you free. Celebrate him. You can do that as well. The point is, for the next couple of minutes, move toward God. Move toward God. Alone or with your team or at a prayer station. Okay? Let me pray for you. God, we celebrate that victory is ours in King Jesus. We celebrate that the uh, redemptive work of Jesus on the cross defeats every enemy that wants to trap us in our sin and enslave us there. We confess that the blood of Jesus is stronger than any enemy and defeats every foe. And we thank you that you can give us these habits that put us in a position where we live in victory with you. So God, help us today to assess our habits, to assess our victorious lifestyle. And Lord, would you speak to each one of us about how to improve or grow or make changes there so that we can experience more of you and more of your victory in our lives. We also ask you to bring into our minds and hearts the face or the name of someone you have placed in our lives who is in a fight that we might fight on their behalf by praying for them and calling on you and pulling up our chair next to them when it's appropriate and participating. So help us. Holy Spirit, do your work in this moment and help us. We trust you. We love you. We give thanks to you, King Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.